good evening, and welcome to the Cabinets of Fever Dreams. Tonight's the second story in a collection of long-legged tales. I am a village veterinarian, last week I saw a dog come back to life, was originally released on the 5th of January 2021, and is read to you tonight by Dr. Creepin, with additional voices provided by Sean Brodeur and Petr Buha, with musical backing by Petr Gabor. This is the second story in the collection of tales about the long-legged beast. If you want to hear more about this strange creature, make sure to tune in for the next chapter of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams. New episodes come out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday on your podcasting platform of choice. With all that said, get comfortable and prepare to be transported into the mysterious Magura Valley. Drunk and panicked and loud, they crowded my living room. One moment I was calmly watching the evening news, enjoying the warmth of my fireplace, and the next I was surrounded by the village drunks. They demanded my help. At the front of the group stood Joshko, the village woodsman. Wrapped up in his massive coat, he held his dog, Paco. The eyes that looked up at me from the bloodied sheepskin weren't the eyes I was accustomed to seeing begging for scraps around the village. They were the eyes of a dying animal. Not even the most skilled of veterinarians could save the dog. His injuries weren't meant to be treated with medicine. They were meant to be treated with a shotgun. The crowd was insistent in their pleas for help. Yet when I asked what happened, they went quiet. The dog was attacked by a bear, someone said. The rest of the group murmured along, unconvincingly. With a bloodied hound in my arms and the scent of an obvious lie in the air, I ordered the drunken crowd out of my home. Only the woodsman remained. Save him, he said, his voice colder than the snowstorm outside. Joshko, I don't think there's much I can do here. Baku is... Do what you can, he said, and with that... My job was set out for me. I quelled the dog's whimpers with a tranquilizer and did my best to sew up his wounds, but the work I was doing was more symbolic than functional. The bites that mangled the animal's body ran so thick I was surprised that the dog was even capable of breathing. By the time my work was finished, the animal's flesh was stitched out of sight, but I knew his injuries ran deeper than any needle could fix. Joshko, I said looking at the bloody creature on my table. Baco's not going to make it through the night. I can make this easy for him. He won't feel a thing. With one injection, I can... No. The woodsman said. If it wasn't for Botso, I would surely be dead. He fought the beast and still had enough strength to come back to the village. The dog had the will to live, and I aim to respect that. The beast? I asked. The bear. He replied, with no emotion in his voice. The woodsman scooped up his dying dog back into the sheepskin coat and lumbered toward the door. Thank you. He said. You know how much Botso means to me. I will not forget your kindness. I gave the woodsman some antibiotics and promised to stop by to check up on Baco in the morning. I expected my visit to be purely for consolation, but I didn't tell the woodsman that. That night, 
as I fell asleep to the crackling of the fireplace and the howling of the snowstorm outside, I couldn't help but to think about the mystery of that bloodied hound. Animals seldom limp away from bear attacks, and when they do, they have the bites and claw marks to prove it. Marco had neither. He showed no signs of being cut by a bear's paws, and the bites that covered his body were unlike the sharp incisions a bear leaves behind. The bites were heavy and thick, as if they came from the maw of some dull-toothed nightmare. Whatever creature had attacked the dog, I knew it wasn't a bear. I woke up to heavy knocks on my door around sunrise. It was the woodsman. Much like the previous night, he had his coat off and nestled against his chest. Something is wrong he said as he walked into my living room. Joshko, I said. The dog was not meant to survive. There's nothing else that could... My words froze in my throat. With a mind still hazy from my dreamless sleep, I tried to make sense of what was in front of me. I blinked. Baku's big brown eyes were peeking out at me from the woodsman's coat. Something is wrong. The woodsman repeated, setting the dog down on the ground. The hound stood on his own without issue. His fur was matted in the dark remnants of his blood, but aside from that, the dog looked unharmed. As I stared at the resurrected dog, he started to wag his tail. I woke up to him licking my face. The woodsman said, sitting down at my table. His mammoth body slumped on the chair. Whatever amount of sleep Baku had woken him from was not enough. I convinced myself that what I was witnessing was a miracle, that what I was looking at was an act of God. It was the only explanation I could conceive of at the time. The woodsman had lost his wife two years prior. The dog was the only living remnant of their union. Surely a loving God would take pity on the man. Did you pray for the dog to get healthy? I asked. The woodsman nodded, yet there was little joy in his eyes from getting his prayers granted. There's something wrong with him. The woodsman said. I was overjoyed when I woke up, but there's something wrong with Botso. The dog sat down and watched me with eyes full of life. He seemed perfectly fine. In fact, he seemed to be begging for scraps. Joshko, I think we're looking at a miracle here, I said. The dog seems perfectly healthy. He's not, the woodsman said, and then, as if his words had awakened something in the dog, Bako's demeanor changed. Suddenly he was back on all fours, but the stance he struck was anything but natural. His paw spread out sideways, as if the legs he was standing on were suited for a table rather than a living being. Bako stared out into the ether, craning his neck as if he was reaching for something. The dog's loving gaze was gone. His eyes were pitch black. But then, as if some invisible switch was flipped, Bako was back. The dog sat down, scratched himself behind his ear, and then looked up to remind me he's hungry. That, the woodsman said, that's what's wrong with Bato. 
stared at the dog, hoping that he would shed some light on his condition, but instead he just licked his nose. Could be a seizure, I said, taking a shot in uncharted territory. Looked a bit like that epileptic pig Halchin had last summer. He went with it to a specialist in the city. Maybe you should ask him. Halchin can't know about this, the woodsman said. Everyone who came with me the previous night, they can't know about this. Why? I asked. For a moment he regarded me with his dark eyes, probing my trustworthiness, and then he spoke. It was not a bear that attacked Botso. It was Halchin who insisted we tell people it was a bear. He says that my story would panic the village. But there was no bear attack. No. The beast that attacked us was... The woodsman's eyes wandered. He looked around my shelves. Do you have any palenka? Uh, not one for the drink, Joshko, I said. What attacked Barco? I have never seen or heard of the madness that I saw in the forest. The woodsman said after a heavy sigh. We were out in the woods following the tracks of what I could have sworn was just a really big deer when we met it. It was something like out of hell itself. Long legs. Neck of a snake. Eyes like a nightmare. The thing would have bitten my head off if it wasn't for Botso. He defended me. He defended me and like a coward I ran. Sensing the tremble in his owner's voice. Baco got up and sat down by the woodsman's feet. There was nothing but discomfort in Joshko's eyes. Is there any way I can help him? He doesn't seem to be in pain, but is there anything I can do? The woodsman asked. The woodsman's incredible story was still settling in my mind. I couldn't think straight. Make sure he takes the antibiotics I gave you last night, I finally said. The woodsman's face remained unchanged. He looked down at the dog as if it had the answers. Joshko, I said. After the state the dog was in last night, it's a miracle that he's alive. Celebrate that. Remember that. Perhaps these little episodes will go away soon enough. Like you said, he doesn't seem to be in pain. Just make sure he takes the pill. I did my best to sound like a professional talking to a client, but I was dealing in the realm of the bizarre with a man whose sanity was starting to seem questionable. The woodsman picked up on my tone. You don't believe me, he said. To be honest, I'm still having trouble believing that Baku is alive, I said. For a split second, the woodsman's mouth twitched. Me too, he smiled. Just please do not tell Halchin or anyone else in the village about this. I need some peace and quiet to think about it all. The mystery of the dog was discomforting me. I was more than happy to not speak about it. With a handshake, the woodsman parted, his resurrected dog tucked beneath his coat. Keeping the thoughts of Baku's miraculous recovery out of my mind during the day was manageable, there was television and the occasional visitor to keep me occupied. The night, however, was more difficult to contend with. 
during the night that I'd find myself standing at my window and looking out at the forest beyond. It was in the darkness of the Magura Hills that I could imagine the creature that the woodsman spoke of. I didn't believe the woodsman's tale. I didn't want to believe the woodsman's tale, but I couldn't help but wonder about the creature that he described. I thought of a tall-legged beast that maims and resurrects, hiding in those snow-peaked trees, stole plenty of sleep from me. For three days I distracted myself, and for two nights I lay sleepless in bed. It was on the third night that I found the woodsman back at my door. He stood in my doorway, wearing his sheepskin coat, looking like a man who had seen death personified. That injection you suggested... He said, his voice dark and low. Do you still have it? To euthanize the dog? I asked. He nodded. Vico has gotten worse. He's... He's not himself anymore. I should have never brought him over in the first place. That dog should have went when it was his time. The harrowed look in the woodsman's eyes let me know his decision was final. I did not argue simply retreated to my medical cabinet, grabbed the necessary supplies, and joined the woodsman at the door. When I tried walking out into the snow, however, his arm blocked my passage. Just give me the syringe and tell me what to do. There is no reason for you to join me. I did not want to argue with the man. He was far too big and there was alcohol in his breath, but I could not let him put down the dog himself. When I brought up his lack of training or experience, the woodsman refused to relent. Yet when I mentioned the fact that he might accidentally hurt the dog, his face softened. The woodsman let go of the doorway. Those episodes that Baco was having, they became more and more frequent. They became constant. The woodsman said, his voice weak with sorrow. You called them seizures. But that's not what they are. No. When Botso gets into those horrible fits, he's not having a seizure. He's growing. Growing? I asked. For a moment, the woodsman just stared at me, as if he was trying to make sense of the whole affair along with me. Growing. He finally said. When that long-legged beast bit Botso, it changed him. That change took time. I fear of what will happen if Botso is allowed to continue to change. It has to be stopped. It has to be stopped and no one can know of this. I promised the woodsman my silence and followed him to his cottage. When his wife was still alive, she kept a small herd of sheep. Those sheep were long sold, but the barn which once held them still stood. It was in that empty barn that the woodsman kept Buck. When the doors opened, however, I knew that I was no longer looking at a familiar village dog. I was looking at a different creature altogether. The animal stood on limbs so tall that he would have reached our eyeline if he had a normal neck. But Bucko's neck was no longer normal. It had stretched into a discomforting mass of fur that pulsed with each deep breath that the creature took. His snout still held some resemblance to that of a dog, yet the tongue that hung from his maw was the color of asphyxiated skin. I was looking at something patently unholy. 
For a moment, the creature looked down on me, and somewhere behind those big, dumb eyes, I could see the trace of something sentient. But then, with a throaty yelp, the animal buckled. Its eyes turned black, its limbs stretched out, its neck craned ever so slowly in the soft shimmer of the animal's fur. I could see its body grow. This is the work of the devil, I whispered, making the sign of the cross. This is the work of the long-legged beast, the woodsman said. And it has to end. Please, this has to end. The sight of that lanky abomination sowed sweat across my body, but there was a job to be done. With weak knees, I stepped towards the towering dog. With shaking hands, I searched his paws for a vein. With a mind drenched in panic, I tried to do what was necessary. At first, finding the right entry point for the syringe seemed like the biggest of my worries. The creature's abhorrent limbs continued to expand beneath my fingers. Every time I thought I'd found a vein, it would be shifted aside by another growth spurt. Yet as I searched for a means to put Bucko to sleep... Another obstacle, a much more troubling obstacle, presented itself. Guttural groans. A drip of foul-smelling spit. The creature's dark eyes were no longer staring out into the ether. They were staring straight at me. Like a gigantic snake, the animal that was once Bako spun its neck towards me and regarded me with utter hatred. Its maw was open wide, revealing a symphony of dull, yellow teeth. The deep groans turned into a roar. The creature lurched at me. For a frozen instant, my life flashed before my eyes. I could see myself kneeling in front of the creature whose visage had stolen so much sleep from me, about to meet my end in its frothing, block-toothed jaws. But then, with the force of focused artillery fire... The woodsman sprang to my aid. He knocked the beast to the ground, pinning its long neck to the hard dirt of the bar. Inject him! He yelled. Put Botso out of his misery before he grows too strong! The long legs of the beast pummeled me with kicks that stole my breath and clouded my mind with pain, but my hands worked independent of thought. Years of training and developed instinct took control. I found the dog's heartbeat and injected the poison. The beast writhed in resistance as my needle found its mark. But with every second that passed, the struggle dimmed. With every second that passed, the heartbeat beneath my finger grew sluggish until, after a minute that lasted an eternity, all signs of life had faded away. Is he gone? The woodsman asked, still gripping the dead creature's neck. Yes, I said. He held his grip for a couple more seconds, as if Bako would be reborn once more. But once the impossibility of a second resurrection became apparent, he let go. The woodsman stood up and regarded his dead companion. Drink with me. He finally said. Not one for the drink, but I dared not to argue with the woodsman. The first shot of Palenka 
I took in his cottage soothed my terrified mind, as did the second, as did the third. At first we tried making sense of what had happened to Barker, of how a bite from a mysterious creature in the woods could transform a dog so radically. But as the bottle of liquor drained, we spoke of different things. We spoke of the woodsman's wife, of loss, of what a hard winter it had been. In his little cottage at the edge of the dark wood, we drank and commiserated about how hard life could sometimes be. I woke up in my own home with a horrid headache and faint memories of the night prior. Under the aching exhaustion of a hangover, the horror that I'd witnessed the night before seemed a lifetime away. Yet, as I sluggishly went about my day, the memory started to sharpen. I could see the abhorrent monstrosity which towered above us in the bath. I could feel the dog's heartbeat slowly fade into the night. I could hear the woodsman's drunken wails over the senseless death. Yet there was something else that I remembered from that night. A distinct moment that's been haunting me ever since it drifted into my conscious mind. As the sun was starting to redden the winter sky, as I drunkenly propped myself up in his doorway saying my goodbyes, we shook hands. The woodsman, slurring his speech, thanked me for my silence and my aid. Your hand, I said, feeling the gauze wrapped around his palm. What happened? Burnt myself while loading the fireplace. He replied. Nothing serious. Last night I did not push the topic further. I was far too drunk to pick up on a lie, and yet... As I sit here, replaying the events of the previous night in my hands, I can't help but to feel like the woodsman was not being honest. I can't help but to feel like the woodsman might have been hiding something from me. Perhaps the wound on his arm was truly from an accident. But I can't help but to feel as if Bakko had something to do with it. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Kondrick, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people in supporting the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash MikeJLanger. And so concludes this episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Make sure to drop by next episode for another tale of the Long Leg Beast series.